Man, super glad you're here. Hey, uh, another week in our marriage series. Next week, we're wrapping up the series uh, with Lisa and I on stage. We're going to do question and answer because here's what I promise. There's been some moment in the conversation that we've had that you've said, Lynn, that sounds really good, but you've never met my spouse. But in the real world, and you're going to get a chance to throw that question out and say, help me figure, how does this actually work in real life? How have you and Lisa done this uh, within your marriage? You have to ask us questions about our marriage, such as, hey, Lisa, what irritates you the most about Lynn? So it's a free-for-all next week. It ought to be a lot of fun. You're going to want to be part of it. Hey, today we're going to talk about this idea of fighting within our marriage. And remember I told you before, uh, you've heard of bad dad jokes. Well, you've got to endure bad pastor jokes. So here we go. So there's a pastor, he's talking about the very same thing we're talking about today, about couples and how they fight. And he just talks about, hey, you realize there's so much destruction, there's so much pain that we cause when we fight unfair, when we say hurtful things. And he's very convincing in his sermon. And when the sermon gets over, one of the elders of the church by the name of Elmer comes up and says, Pastor, look, I, I, just, don't, I just don't think we can do this. My wife and I have fought several times a week in the 30 years that we've been married. Matter of fact, before we came to church today, we had one of our worst fights ever, and it ended up with my wife down on her hands and knees. And the pastor asked Elmer and said, well, what did she say? She said, Elmer, you coward, get out from under that bed. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to appreciate that one when we're done. All right. Here's what's interesting to me. When we started out, it was amazing, right? I mean, we loved each other like crazy. We just thought, man, if our relationship is this good and we're just now getting married and it gets better, and I mean, what's it gonna be like after 20 years? And we went into this thing with tons and tons of hope and absolutely sure we'd found the right person to spend our life with. Isn't it interesting how many then marriages actually head in the wrong direction? So the question is this, how did something that started so beautiful, that was so amazing, that we cherished so deeply in the beginning, how did we let it get that bad on our watch? And the reality is simply this. You realize marriage is putting two sinners in close proximity who don't agree on how marriage should go. Matter of fact, Lisa and I have got this one issue that's been going on in our marriage. Uh, she believes that it's a man's job to carry out the trash. Apparently, <laughs> apparently her dad carried out the trash every single time in her home. I didn't have a dad at home, so in our home, the person who put the last piece in and it got to the top, it was your job. We took turns carrying out the trash. So I get to the trash can, it, it's not quite full yet. Lisa puts that last, and I'm like, hey, your turn. She looks at it and says, when's my husband gonna take care of this? And so what'll happen is we keep squishing it down and it gets higher and higher and higher. 
Eventually, Lisa will take the bag out of the trash can. She'll walk it through the washroom, and then she sets it in front of the door so that I can't get out into the garage just to let me know that it's my, I'm supposed to carry out the trash. My answer is, Lisa, the trash was four steps away. I mean, you had it 90% to the trash can, and then you left it. I'm sitting there going, how can you be that irresponsible? She's saying, I did a kindness. I got it most of the way there. <laughs> but isn't it true that a lot of our disagreements in marriage are bigger than who carries out the trash? See, we come from different homes and different upbringings and with different perspectives on how this thing's supposed to go. Uh, one of us came from a home that when there was conflict, we just yelled it out. The other one of us came from a home that when there was conflict, we just pretended it wasn't there and ignored it. Uh, one of us came from a home where money was all about translate into fun. You used money to have great experiences. The other one of us came from a home that said, no, 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 you save money. You put a rainy day fund together so that you have safety and comfort in your life. Uh, one of us came from a really, really super strict home and we said, I'll never do that to my kids. I'm, I wanna give my kids all sorts of freedom and expression. The other of us came from one of those homes with all that freedom and says, man, I made so many bad mistakes in my life. I, I got caught up in so much sin because there was no guardrails for me and so I, I wanna be really, really strict with my kids. And in the midst of that, we become convinced that our version of how marriage ought to be needs to win. And so now we begin to go into conflict with one another, arguing our case. And the reality is we're, we're gonna do anything we can. We're gonna leverage the moment. We might even be a little bit dishonest and not bring up the failings of our version of what we're doing because we've gotta be sure that our version of how it ought to work needs to win. And when that doesn't get us far enough, we move into the blame game and we start saying, hey, well, you never... Well, you realize the only reason I did that is because you did this first. You realize the reason we're struggling is because you haven't. And in the midst of that, we begin to get frustrated with one another and anger begins to boil up. And we just decide, look, I gotta, I gotta put it into, we bring out weapons with words. We, we, we cut into each other's hearts. We say cruel things because we know, we know the soft spot in our spouse's life. But we've got to get them to surrender. And so now we spew things that we would never think of saying in any other moment because we're going to win this argument. And we get them to surrender and we say to ourselves, I won. Not realizing what we lost. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that when it was over, we said, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean some of those things I said. But you realize sorry doesn't fix it. It doesn't repair the trust that was lost. That we would say and do such hurtful things. It, it doesn't bring back down the wall that our spouse put up because they said, look, I just, I can never be that open, that vulnerable again because I don't know what you would do with that. We won an argument at unthinkable expense to our marriage. 
Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, go with me to a passage in Proverbs that talks about this very issue. It's Proverbs chapter 17, and if you're not familiar, if you just simply go to the center of your Bible, you're probably gonna hit the book of Psalms. Go a little bit to the right, you're gonna get to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, starting in verse 14, this is Solomon, the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth, and here's what he says about fighting with one another. Proverbs 17, verse 14 says, starting a quarrel, starting a fight, is like breaching a dam. Think about what he just said. He says, look, when, when you get into a fight, when you start getting all emotionally, when you start saying things you shouldn't say and behave... It's like breaking open a dam, and here's what the problem with breaking a dam is. You unleash destruction, and you can't control where it goes. It is going to end up causing pain in places you never intended to cause pain. It's going to destroy trust in places you didn't intend to destroy trust. But you breached the dam, and you sent destruction into your relationship because you fought, and you fought dirty. And then here's his answer. He says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter. Look, look, better to not even deal with it. Better to still continue to disagree and not come. Better that than to start a dispute before a dispute breaks out. And guys, here's what we're gonna discover. This is the big idea for the day. Never, ever, ever in your marriage fight again. Just resolving your hearts today, we're never gonna fight again. We're gonna put that same energy, that same effort into finding solutions for our disagreement. But we're never gonna fight to get there. Singles, if you're in the room. <clears throat> when you're considering who should I marry, am, am I serious about this person? I believe this is the second most important question to ask. The first most important is, does this person love my Jesus as much as I do? The second question is, how do they treat me when they don't like me? How do they behave with me when they disagree with me? Because there is no greater determiner in which direction your marriage is gonna go than do you, they know my Jesus, and how do they behave when we disagree? And if you get with somebody who dishonors you and is mean and cruel when you disagree, run away, run away, run away. They are not marriage material. Let some other sucker end up with them, not you. <clears throat> so let's talk about this fighting thing and why fighting is a no-win proposition within our marriages. <clears throat> fighting will always take your marriage in the downhill. Here's why. Fighting diminishes your marriage because fighting is always ends up being about hurting the other person, trying to get them to surrender because we allow anger to be part of it. Here, here, here's what happens for us. See, we, uh, we come home from work and, and it's been a bad day. We didn't, we didn't make sales projections. The supervisor really, really called us out, said our job is potentially in jeopardy. So we come home already a little bit frustrated and angry. Uh, we get home and the kids have been playing in the living room and they've been playing with Legos. You, you know what Legos are, right? 
Legos, Legos are plastic landmines. I'm convinced that the manufacturers of Legos studied their craft so that they could cause the maximum amount of pain without actually puncturing the skin. And you step on one of the Legos and you're like, I can't believe it. How many kids times we talk to those kids? You get home and realize there's been no plans for food. Uh, you're already hangry. And it just amps you up just that much more. You're just that much more frustrated and angry. And then, as you're trying to calmly watch TV, your two boys are beating each other up in front of you. You've talked to them a hundred times about it. Here they are doing it again. But you decide, look, I need some peace. I'm going to ignore it. And then your spouse comes in and says, hey, can't you do something right in front of you? And you go, but you're in the same room. You didn't do anything. And here we go. Because our anger boils over. And in the midst of our anger, we say things that we would have never said in any other moment. We, we cause destruction and we don't even care in the moment because we're gonna get our spouse to surrender. Years ago, before Lisa and I were married, I was over at my dad's house one day and he was showing me some of his VHS movies. And uh, if you don't know what that is, ask an old person. <clears throat> showing me his VHS movies and uh, he says to me, hey, Lynn, pick two or three that you want to keep. I'll give you some. And I'm like, Dad, I, I don't need any. I'm okay. And he goes, no, no, no. Pick two or three that you really want. I'm going to give them to you. So I picked a couple of the movies, three of the movies, and took them on home. About four months later, my dad calls me up on the phone. He says, Lynn, where are my movies? I go, you mean the ones you gave me? He goes, I didn't give you those movies. I let you borrow those movies. Frustrated me out of my mind because he'd done this before. There had been other times that he gave me something and then called me up and said, hey, why are you being so irresponsible? How can you not return something that I loaned you? And I'm like, dad, no, you gave it to me. And he goes, you get your irresponsible blankety blank back here and bring me back my movies. So now I'm driving over to my dad's house. I am seething. See, I, <laughs> he has filled this up. I get to the front door, I knock on the front door, there's nobody answers the front door. I go walking around the back of the house. There's Carol, his wife, talking to one of her friends. And I take the movies and I toss them on the table and start walking away. She looks in the bag, she goes, oh, movies. And that was it. I turned. And guys, I'm I can't say in church what I said to her in that moment. And here's the crazy part, she wasn't even the one that did it to me. But in that, in that moment of anger, I just wanted to wound. I, I just wanted to cause some of the pain that I felt like I was feeling in my life. I embarrassed her in front of her friend. I brought brokenness to our relationship. How many of you would say, Lynn, I, I can remember a moment that someone in their anger just said really horrible things to me. And, and I can still remember the gist of that conversation. I can still remember the wound I felt being on the wrong side of that anger. How many people say, I, I, I remember that? How many of us in this room would say, hey, Lynn, I've had moments where I was the angry one. I've had moments when things came out of my mouth that I, I wish I'd never said. And I know I hurt some hearts and I know I caused some wounds in the midst of my anger. And I've been sad about that and regretted it. Because guys, when we fight, 
It escalates. And we end up, you ready? We end up causing needless damage to our spouse because we allowed ourselves to get into a fight, get frustrated, and our anger overflow. And guys, I'm just telling you, that win wasn't worth it because trying to repair the damage of the dam that we just opened up. Second reason you don't want to ever fight again, that fighting takes our marriage in the wrong direction is because fighting very often is about blaming. So we go, you never spend time with the kids. You never cook. I wouldn't have done what I did until you did what you did. And you understand what we're doing that moment is we're going, look, look, I may be wrong, but you're more wrong. We're arguing percentages with each other. We're trying to affix more blame on them than responsibility on us. And here's the problem with blame mongering. Blame mongering brings no solutions. It only brings guilt. You've done absolutely nothing to repair the problem. You've actually just made it worse. Third reason that you and I want to avoid fighting with our spouse at all costs is because fighting diminishes our, our relationship because fighting is about winning. Think about this. You and I, our spouses, are supposed to be one flesh with us. We're on the same team. You don't infight on the team. You don't win against your teammate. You ever seen a team that starts arguing with itself? You instantly know they're gonna lose this because they've already given every bit of teamwork and camaraderie away. And here's the problem. I guarantee you within your marriage, one of you is a better arguer. One of you is a better debater. One of you can yell louder than the other one and you inevitably end up winning, whether or not you were right or not, because you're just a better arguer. I thought about having us raise our hands and go, yeah, I'm the better arguer. You already know. And you wanna know what's even more important? Your spouse knows. And here's, if you're the better arguer, here's what you gotta understand because here's what you, you think you're winning when you're actually losing. Because when you win, it means your spouse is the loser. And here's what your spouse did in that moment. They went, that's one more time. One more time when my heart wasn't heard. One more time we didn't speak to each other with honor and understanding. One more time I had to give in in order to keep the peace. And because you're the better arguer, it goes on and on. But what you need to know, that in every time you win, you accumulated a mark. A mark of frustration a mark of disappointment, a mark of, I didn't get into marriage for this every single time. And here's the interesting thing. The one who's the better arguer, the one that's winning all the time, they think their marriage is great. <laughs> I always win. How could marriage be any better than this? I wish I could tell you 
How many times I've been in marriage counseling and the husband comes and says, I, I didn't even see this coming. I mean, just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my wife said, I'm done. And I don't know what to do to fix it. And so I asked the wife this. Hey, what is it? What is it that he could do that would cause you to have some hope? That would be a statement to you, hey, this man is gonna start being, what could he possibly do? And you know what her answer is every time? Nothing. Because I've already given him 100 chances. Nothing. Because my scorecard is filled up. And I am worn out. And I am done. And here's what you don't understand. When you're winning the argument, you're losing a piece of your spouse's heart every single time. You're simply taking this and making it worse. And then we wonder, how did this incredibly beautiful thing become this? Guys, when you, when you allow fighting, viciousness and meanness and winning against you, into your marriage, you, you do what I call the crazy cycle. This is, this is how our marriage goes downhill. Because here's what happens. In, in the midst of the arguing, in the midst of the fighting, I promise you, somebody feels deeply disrespected. You didn't listen. You didn't, you didn't take my feelings into account. You, you didn't even consider all you were gonna do is wound and win. And so then all of a sudden, our spouse withdraws. They go, hey, I, I ain't getting that close again. I'm not gonna be that vulnerable again. And when our spouse withdraws, and all of a sudden we're going, hey, wait a minute, how come you're not as invested in this marriage anymore? How come you're not doing the kind things you used to do? And we start feeling unloved. And then we start complaining. Hey, I'm doing my part. Why aren't you doing your part? Because of how you treated me last time. And in the midst of that, we feel disrespected. And we withdraw. And our spouse feels unloved. And they start to complain. And when they complain, we feel disrespect. Guys, this is the crazy cycle. It's how we take incredible relationships and just wash them right down the drain because of how we treat each other when we disagree. So how do you turn this around? And the amazing thing is that scripture actually gives you and me an outline of how we should treat each other when we don't necessarily like each other, in moments when we don't see eye to eye. So grab your Bibles, because it's gonna help. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. If you're not familiar, go all the way to the back of your Bible and then start working to the left till you get to this book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 26. Now, here's what you need to know. This is not a marriage passage. This is actually a passage that says, hey, when you disagree with your neighbor, uh, when you don't see eye to eye with your coworker, how do you navigate that moment? All right, so this is a standard for how we would treat strangers. So if this is the minimum standard, if what scripture's about to, says this is how you should treat other people, how much higher regard how much higher honor should we have for our spouse? Does that make sense? Nod so I feel better. Yes, Lynn, that makes sense. Okay, good. All right, here we go. 
minimum standard of how to treat anybody, let alone our spouse. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse uh, 26, here's what it says. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Okay, so let's go back and unpack that passage. Go back to verse 26. Verse 26 says, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So get what it's saying. It says, look, 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 look. When you're in the midst of frustration, when you're in the midst of anger, that's not when you deal with it. Because in your anger, you are likely to say and do things you should not do. In your anger, do not sin, it says. So it's completely legitimate to say, hey, well, you know, man, if I talk about this right now, whew, this is just gonna go somewhere I don't wanna go. And this is a struggle, because a lot of times in a marriage, there's one of us that feels like if there's a problem, we gotta talk about it right now. You do that, you may cause damage. It's okay to take a short break and say, hey, I, I gotta calm down a little bit, I gotta think about this a little bit, I gotta get my words right on how I wanna present this. In your anger, don't sin. But then it comes back and it puts a marker in and says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I've heard a lot of people say, hey, this means you should never go to bed angry. That's not what it says. As a matter of fact, think about this. If you have a fight at 10 o'clock at night, chances are why you're fighting is because you're tired already. And if you think about it, if it's 10 o'clock at night, the sun's already gone down, the next time it's gonna go down is tomorrow. All it's saying is simply this, hey, it's okay to set an appointment, right? It's okay to say, hey, tomorrow at lunch, let's talk about this. Just don't put it way out there, right? Make it something you handle in the short term, not the long term. And then finally it comes back and says, and don't give the devil a foothold. How do you give the devil a foothold? It's when you've been one of those people that says, hey, I don't want to deal with this. I, I want to pretend it's not there. We're, we're just going to push it under the rug. And when you do that, you start becoming bitter because the next time they do something similar, you're like, oh, there they go again. And the devil starts turning your heart against your spouse. So let's talk about how this works. We're never again, right? We're never again going to let anger build up. We're never going to come back to our spouse in that moment of real, real anger, which means that you and I then have two options as we deal with this. One of the options is simply this. Hey, I'm, I'm just going to forgive it and forget it. Let, let's, say, let's say you're out to dinner with your spouse and your spouse says something while you're there with the other couple that just feels like you got thrown under the tires, right? So you just... They put you out there, it wasn't very honoring and it made you feel hurt in the moment. And what you get to decide at that moment is, hey, is this a one-off? Was this just one of my spouse's not so great moments and I'm just gonna forgive. I'm just gonna forget, I'm not gonna make this an issue 
in our marriage. I'm just, I'm just not. So I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive and forget. Even though we haven't even had a discussion. And the good news is that when you do that, right, there's nothing left in here to build up. You already said, hey, that's done, and I'm not going to wait till another fight and bring it up. And I forgave, and I forgot. Or it's possible when that moment happens and you feel disrespected, and you go, you know what? We do need to talk about this, because this is like the fourth time. This seems to be a pattern, and I don't want to do this for 40 more years. We need to figure out how to fix this. And so you do exactly what Scripture says, you take that wound, you take that offense, and you say to your spouse, hey, look, could we talk about this tomorrow? Because if I talk right now, I'm a little bit angry, I'm gonna probably say some things. But I want you to know I'm, I'm really hurt at what was said at dinner, and I want us to talk about it. And then you get to lunch. And you, and you, you now say, hey, what do we do? What do we do, what, what's the agreement we come to that this doesn't happen again? Well, we just won't say hurtful things or demeaning things when we're with other, okay. That's great, I love that. If we have that promise, I'm good. We fixed it, and when you fix it, we're back to empty, there's nothing to build up. There's nothing to keep escalating anger. We fixed it. Second thing, let's go to verse 28. Verse 28 sounds a little weird on first reading, but hang on and we'll catch it. It says, anyone who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. This is, ready? This is instead of blaming, offer a solution. How easy would it have been to go, hey, this, this dude's a thief. Man, he shouldn't even be around us. We ought to just like, take him out of the camp and no, 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 no. How would we help restore this guy? What sort of a solution can we offer? And the solution here is, hey, let's get the guy a job. So instead of sitting around thinking about how he can steal something, he's too busy working with his hands. And then we're not just gonna get his behavior better, we're gonna help his heart because most thieves think they've been deprived of something. They're just making the balance even Let's have him give to people who are in real need so they would understand that, hey, my life ain't that bad after all. Instead of blaming, we're gonna work for solution. So instead, you ready? Instead of saying, hey, you never spend time with the kids, blaming. What if instead we went with the solution? Hey, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but when you spend time with our kids, they light up. Would you consider once every two weeks just having a daddy kid night? And you go to a movie or you stay home and play games, but you have one night every two weeks where you just spend time with our kids. Would you consider that solution not blaming? There's a really good chance your husband would say, I, I could do that. Hey, you, you never cook. Instead of blaming, what if you offered a solution? Hey, I just think it's such a great thing or it'd be so valuable if our family had at least one night where we were together as a family. We ate together, not watching TV and playing video games in separate rooms. 
Would you be willing to cook one night a week, maybe Thursday night? Every Thursday night we know that's family night and we're gonna talk about what's going on in our lives. We're gonna eat the meal together. We're gonna turn the TV set off. Would you consider that? Solution instead of blaming. This was huge for Lisa and me. For Lisa and me, one of the struggles we had for years and years and years in our marriage was spending money. And Lisa and I are very, very different about this. Lisa is, is a spender. I'm a saver. Now, at first, that sounds like I'm very noble because I'm saving. It's actually not. I save because I'm selfish. So let me explain. Lisa is wildly generous. So she's out shopping, and she sees something, and it reminds her of someone she loves. And she thinks to herself, I should get that for my friend. So she looks at her account and, and goes, oh, there's money in the account. What she doesn't know is, I've already planned the bills. All the bills are yet to cut. That account's going down low. And here she is buying something for someone else. I'm like, Lisa, what did you buy? I bought a necklace. Lisa, you've got 100 necklaces. I didn't buy it for myself. I bought it for Alice. Alice has 200 necklaces. I know, but I just thought it would be wonderful for her, right? She's generous. She, she sees things, she thinks about people, she's generous. But every time she'd walk into the house with a bag of things, I'm like, what did you do? I'm a saver. I save so that I can buy myself something big. I save so I can buy a PS5. That's what, right? I'm not thinking about Alice. I'm thinking about, right? All right. But then my wife would see me buy a PS5 and she's like, what did you do? How did you spend that much money? We had to get off the blaming, and we came up with a solution. Here's the solution we came up with. Hey, whatever you earn, whatever I earn, that's, that's family money. That's in one pot. Totally different, but guys, if you're married, it's not her money, his money. It's our money. We're one, and then we sit down and agree how we're gonna spend our money. But here's how we fixed it. Every single month, Lisa gets a little allowance. Every single month, I get a little allowance. And so when Lisa's out shopping, she sees the necklace. She goes, ah, and she buys the necklace. She comes walking in the house. And I go, what did you buy? And here's her answer, my allowance. Because <laughs> she can do whatever she wants with her allowance. I go out and I buy my PS5 and I go, my allowance, right? We came up with solution instead of blaming. And guys, you and I have to make that shift. We have to say, look, I'm not gonna go into this blaming my spouse for what, how do we work toward a solution? How do we put that same energy into figuring out something that works for us? And then the third one in the passage, go back to the passage. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Not according to their deficits, not according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. You, you get what it just said. When we dishonor each other with our words, it grieves the Holy Spirit who lives in us when we do that. That instead, you ready? Instead of saying, hey, I'm gonna win at all costs and I'm gonna be a little deceptive in this argument so that my argument can... I'm gonna figure out how to lift my spouse up 
that, that as we work through this, we would, they would actually feel more affirmed, more adored, more appreciated than when we started the conversation. I had a friend on staff a while back and I'd been in a lead team meeting and something had kind of slipped through the cracks and we should have seen it and we didn't see it and it frustrated me. So I, I just let the room know. I, I said, hey, you know, I can't believe that this should have been an easy thing for us and somehow we didn't pay attention and it, it, it just ended up being a lot less than it should have been and we still had to spend the same money and we can't do that again. I left the room and my friend came walking in and he said, Lynn, you, you can't do that ever again. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Lynn, I said, I, I didn't yell. I didn't cuss anybody out. I didn't call anybody names. And he said, yeah, but Lynn, here's what you need to know. Because of your position, because of who you are, every word you say carries so much more weight. And for you just to express your frustration at that level, which for almost anybody else maybe is appropriate, it's like a sledgehammer to the hearts. Lynn, you've got to figure out how to say that thing with more gentleness and kindness. You realize what my friend did. He actually lifted me up and said, Lynn, you've got this pulpit, you've got this position where what you say hits so big, but you need to learn how to use it in a more constructive way. My friend did exactly what he needed to do. He lifted me up as he pointed out what needed to change. We're gonna land the plane here, guys. Guess what, men? Guess who God puts as primarily responsible for how we treat each other in our marriage? Men. He says, I put you in point on this thing and one of the things that you are supposed to take sacred care of is how you treat one another when you disagree. So grab your Bibles and go with me. Go with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is almost in the very back of your Bible. First Peter, chapter three, verse seven. Men, here's what it says to you about taking point on how we're gonna treat each other in our marriage. First Peter, chapter three, verse seven says, husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayers. Now ladies, before you freak out. When he says weaker partner, probably better translated, more delicate, more fragile. And men, here's what he's saying. You can't treat her the way you treat your buddies. You can't yell at her the way you yell at your buddies on the work site, which you probably shouldn't be doing that anyways, remember Ephesians 4. But you can't do it especially with her because her heart is softer. Your words cut deeper. Your wounds bleed more. And men, it is up to you to always, with respect, understand the preciousness and the delicateness of her heart. And guys, isn't it true that the things in your home which are most fragile and delicate are usually the things worth the most? And God says, treat your wife that way as a precious gift in your home. And you be the one that says, oh, no, 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 
We're not gonna say words like that. No, 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 no. We're not gonna let our anger get out of the way. He says, men, you lead the way. And then he goes a step further. He says, and if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. You realize what God is saying, how important this is? If you won't take care of the heart of your wife, if you won't make sure that we're not wounding each other when we disagree, then God says, you know what? If you don't take care of that sacred trust I've given you, then we don't have much to talk about. Fix that one first. That's a high calling, men. Here's the wonder of it. You ready? When we start treating each other with respect, when we start offering solutions instead of blame, when, when we decide not to lash out in anger and say things that we regret, we change the crazy cycle into the thriving cycle. Because here's what happens. In that moment of disagreement, in that moment when we didn't see eye to eye, instead of wounding, we came with each other with honor, and in that moment, we felt respected. And because we felt respected, we moved our hearts just that much toward our spouse. And because our movement was toward our spouse, our spouse felt that much more loved. And when they felt loved and when they said, man, this could have been a bad thing and it could have gone the wrong way, but you handled this so well, all of a sudden they respond with praise. And when we receive that praise, man, I'm so thankful for who you are and how you did this and for the kindness in which you dealt with this issue. We feel respected. And now we move even more toward our spouse. And now our spouse feels even more deeply loved and they're gonna tell us what an amazing person we are. And we feel respected. You ever seen a marriage where you just go, I can't believe how those people love each other. You know why it is? Because they didn't do this when they got mad. They did that. Here's the call, you ready? Here's the call. 30 days. 30 days that you absolutely refuse to fight. Instead, instead of blaming, you look for solutions. Instead, instead of getting angry, you set appointments. Hey, we're gonna talk about it then. And when you have the conversation, you're gonna choose words that lift your spouse up even though you're expressing something that needs to get better. 30 days. And I guarantee you the direction of your marriage will be better. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, it is so incredible that the person we love the most is the person we tend to hurt the most. And then we wonder why our marriages are diminished and less than where we started. God, help us to get off the crazy cycle. Help us to have enough love and honor and respect for each other. We say, look, I will never in my anger lash out against you. I, I won't be blame mongering on you. I'll come to you when my heart has calmed down and I'll, I'll come with solutions and answers to what we're struggling with and I'll choose my words carefully that you would actually feel more honored after our discussion than when we began. God, let this go past 30 days. Let this become a lifetime of honoring our spouse. 
And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Man, another awesome message. Once again, I hope it blessed you and I hope that you can just walk in through your marriage together more revived. Other than that, if you do need prayer, you guys know what to do. Text prayer to 21999. We're here for you always. Other than that, we'll see you guys next week.